0: please open
1: your Bible to Ezra chapter 6. Uh, we've come as far as verse 13. If you need a Bible, please raise your hand and one of the ushers or elders will bring you a Bible. Looks like everyone's good. All right. Ezra chapter 6, verse 13. This uh, this passage has been very timely. Um, you know, as, we, as I've kind of been going through this passage, we've been going to through this together. Remember, back in chapter five, um, you know, for about 15 years, uh, the children of Israel uh, had become disobedient and not finished the temple. Um, the 50,000 that had come over with Zerubbabel, and they were given a command by God, and, and even given the decree and the ability to do all this through Cyrus, and they had uh, they had lacked um, the faithfulness. To continue to push through the difficulties. Um, sometimes we we need help in prayer for those things, right? When we go through difficult times in our lives, we know the Lord's confirming something. To have that resolve to push through that, spiritually speaking. Um, and God sent two prophets, Haggai and Zechariah. And they came and they spoke uh, to the people. And if you read Haggai chapter 1, as we did last week... Um, boy, God laid that down hot in love. But he said, you know, you've been so focused on your own homes, on your own businesses, on your own life, you've literally neglected the house of God and the things of God. And I I can't help but thinking, um, after 70 years of captivity, you know, think about that. Your, Your grandparents just basically went into all but slavery, you know, being moved to a new foreign land Removed from everything in their home country, all their labor, all their jobs. Some of their family members were um, killed by the Babylonians. So those that were still alive, um, I mean, just difficulty beyond difficulty. They they had to you know begin to uh, create new lives over in Babylon. And you know, there's this certainly pagan nation you're living in. I know it's hard for us to relate to, but uh, <laughs> but. You know they're 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 living in this way, and the Lord calls them to come back. Well, a good number of them, fifty thousand, with Zerubbabel, and and being through that experience, and they come back, and then to find themselves going and almost beginning to repeat some of the sins of their fathers, you know, and mothers, and going back to that uh, convenience and comfort, and just. Uh, you know, what was right in their own eyes, you'd like to think like, Lord, but if there was something like, Jesus, if you were standing right next to me, it would be different. And you know, I'm just reminded in the book of Revelation, it tells us that, that Jesus Christ is going to come back and, and we're going to come back with him after the rapture. And when he comes, he's going to establish his nation, uh, his kingdom, excuse me, for a thousand years. And even then with Jesus Christ on the throne on earth, with perfect righteousness, that he's there's still gonna be some that the anti, you know, that Satan and, and the Antichrist, they're gonna turn around and they're gonna create a rebellion of the people and the nations. And I don't know about you, sometimes it's just hard for me to get my mind around that. You know, and especially the days we're living already. You know, would it be different? And and the answer is no. Because of the wickedness and carnality, and and yet God is so good. Because even though they, they had blown it, even though this is almost becoming a rinse and repeat for the nation of Israel, God says, I'm not done with you and I love you. And we go through and we see that, you know, at this point, Zerubbabel and the son of Shatil, they get moved because of the stirring of the prophets and the encouragement of the prophets. And they said, you know what? No more of this. We're going to go back to build the house of God the temple of God. And they start that process up, and then what happens? Everything is just great, right? No, uh, the people and the governor of that place, the nation, no, no, what are you doing? You can't come back to this. Stop what you're doing immediately until we hear and get a decree from Darius. We're going through this again? Yeah, sometimes it feels that way. And then they go through and... Darius goes and checks the historical annals and he comes back and he says, it's exactly as they said. You're not only going to do that, but you're also going to open the treasuries of the king. You're going to take the tax dollars from the local area and you're going to finish that temple. And I I just, I literally read this and sometimes it's one of those pinch me moments. Like, Lord, nothing is impossible for you you could literally take the government and move, and move the people that didn't even want to be a part of this. And now all of a sudden they come and get the decree from the king and the king shows favor. And next thing you know, it's, oh, and by the way, not only are they going to build the temple, you're going to help them. What? And that brings us to our verse in 13 here this evening. And it's, it's completed. Um, certainly there were steps of faith in this. Uh, God, you know, wanted to do this The whole time. I mean, he wanted to do this 15 years earlier, didn't he? And it just, the Lord just gave me a word on that. And he said, we all have a choice. We can choose to be a part of the miracle of God. We can choose to be a part of the miracle of God. But that's our choice. And every one of us can either choose to say, you know what? I'm in Or, no, that's too difficult. Don't, don't try, you know, just do. Well, we're going to read here in verse 13. and We're going to pray and uh, it just continues to remind me, you know, nothing's too hard for God to work. I mean, he worked through three emperors to build a building and all the people had to do was obey their God. Father, I'm continually amazed in awe of you, Jesus. All of you, Holy Spirit. The way you move on hearts, the way, Lord, you choose to take inadequate, Lord, people. And you do your perfect work through them. It's so humbling, Lord. It's, it's such a gift of grace, such a gift of mercy. So so wonderful to be a part of the things of the kingdom of heaven. And God, we certainly, I, I, we don't, I don't deserve it. We None of us deserve it. And yet it brings you great delight. And, and Lord, you can move heaven and earth to accomplish your purpose and plan, your will. Lord, you sent your son. I mean, Jesus, as we celebrate Christmas and and as we say, the reason for the season, you know, Lord, it, my mind is just resting in Emmanuel, God with us. That's that's what this is about—about about relationship, about your love for us, about our love for you, about the desire to become more intimate, to know you, and you to know us, and and to have that koinonia and that beautiful fellowship and prayer and. And just relationship and, and to think, Lord Jesus, you are willing to do anything. Send your only begotten son, Lord, that he would take away the sin of the world, Lord. And you even created a place for, Lord, in this time, a place for them to worship. Even though they fought you for 15 years, Lord. And God, I don't just point to them, Lord. I, I can be as stubborn, we can be as stubborn today. And you are so good to us. Just praise your holy name, Jesus. Praise your holy name. Lord, I pray just give us the eyes to see these things. To know that our God, you are moving today. And you are the ancient of days. You are still on the throne, Lord. Your love hasn't changed. Your plans haven't changed. Your your purpose hasn't changed, Lord. And you're still looking for men and women that want to be a part of your miracle. Lord, begin that revival in our hearts, Lord. I, I, Lord, you and I were just talking about, Lord, it's never been about, do you want to do the revival, Lord? It's about, are your people ready to answer the call? So Jesus, we here together, Lord, in unity, we ask, now, Lord Jesus Christ, go before us, begin the revival, begin the awakening, begin it in our hearts, And Lord, may it be so stirring, so encouraging, so enlightening, Lord, that we can't wait to share it with as many people, Lord, as you allow. Light the fire again, Jesus. We ask this in your mighty name, Jesus Christ. And all God's people pray. Amen. Amen. It says in verse 13, Then Tetaniah, the governor of the region beyond the river, Shethar Zaniah, And their companions diligently did according to what King Darius had sent. So the elders of the Jews built and they prospered uh, through the prophesying of Haggai, the prophet, and uh, Zechariah, the son of Edo. And they built and finished it according to the commandment of the God of Israel and according to the command of Cyrus, Darius, and Artaxerxes, three empires, right? King of Persia. Now the temple was finished on the third day of the month of Adar, that's March, which is in the sixth year of the reign of King Darius. Then the children of Israel, the priests and the Levites, and the rest of the descendants of the captivity celebrated the dedication of this house of God with joy. I can't wait to do that. You know, you fast forward in six months, seven months from now, as the Lord leads, the Lord's about to dedicate another house unto himself another house of the Lord as we're as we're watching as God builds this building you know we just finished some of our contractual conversations and everything went I know some of you were praying everything went as well as they could go I mean really from the contractual perspective and um I'm blown away I'm I'm rejoicing already what God does. I, I, I'm right here. It's like the Lord just took me 3,000 years back. I'm right here. I'm right. We're living this out. We're watching God do this before our very eyes. The Bible, his word is alive. It's real. It's sharper than any two-edged sword to pierce the mirror of the heart, to go right in and to do that surgery. God is still a surgeon, and he's a, he's a beautiful surgeon. Verse 17, and they, they offered sacrifices and the, and the dedication of the, this house of God, 100 bulls, 200 rams, 400 lambs, and a sin offering for all of Israel, 12 male goats according to the number of the tribes of Israel. And I, I know what some of you thinking as we're reading this right now. I, I understand. Compared to Solomon, the temple that God built through Solomon, it pales in comparison. But to those men and women... In Jerusalem, that was the greatest offering of their hearts. And to God, it was no different. He didn't see the difference. He, all he saw was praise and worship. I love that. And God blesses it, doesn't he? God blesses it. And they assigned the priests to their division and the Levites to their divisions over the services of the God in Jerusalem as it was written in the book of Moses. Again, certainly this was a sacrifice. I mean, 100 bulls, 200 rams, 400 lambs, a sin offering, 12 male goats, according to Numbers, right? That was a lot. They had just come back into the land. They were there 15 plus years. It wasn't like they had a lot of time to cultivate and I mean... That that's a lot for them. This was this was really costing these these men and women something. This was a true sacrifice of their hearts. It was costing them something significant. And if you read this and you're keeping a chronology, this is this took about 21 years to complete. When you think about the time that was spent plus the delay, uh, you know they're they're 15 years there. And and what I think is so striking is it, it actually completes somewhere around. Four and a half to five years after the prophet Haggai and Zechariah spoke to the people. After the encouragement. Isn't the proverb say, a good word can turn away sorrow? I'm paraphrasing. A good word can turn away sorrow, depression, anxiety, a good word, a word of encouragement sometimes when the Lord puts that on your heart to give a good word like that, or to say something encouraging to someone, and you, oh, they don't need, you know, I'm going to sound stupid. Oh no, the Lord wants to use you. You open your mouth and you speak the lovelies that He gives you. You speak in the Spirit. You walk in the Spirit. You live in the Spirit. And the descendants of the captivity kept the Passover. So the celebration of deliverance, right? On the 14th day of the first month for the priests and the Levites had purified themselves. All of them were richly clean and they slaughtered the Passover lambs for the descendants of the captivity, for their brethren, the priests, and for themselves. And then the children of Israel who had returned from the captivity ate together with all who had separated themselves from the filth of the nations of the land in order to seek the Lord God of Israel. Underline that in your Bible. That is the same marching orders you and I have today. To keep ourselves away from the filth of the nations of the land in order to seek the Lord God of Israel. It hasn't changed. Now He's not saying we don't go out and witness. He's not saying that we don't eat with sinners and that we don't. No, no, that's not what this is saying. The, the idea behind it is that we are holy. We are set apart. We, we are pure. We are keeping ourselves pure that way. God is sanctifying us, and certainly we're being his hands and feet. And they kept the feast of Avalanbre seven days with joy from the Lord, made them joyful, and turned the heart of the king of Assyria toward them to strengthen their hands in the work of the house of God and the God of Israel. You start thinking about that. It says here that God changed the hearts. God made it joyful, right? It says the Lord made them joyful. But it took them to be willing and to surrender, didn't it? All they could do is say, Lord, okay, I believe, I'm in, I'm yours. And then the Lord blessed that. He filled their hearts and enlarged their hearts and with such joy, they couldn't help but being joyful. And again, friends, I say that because I know we're living in evil days. I know we're seeing Despicable things happen today, and I know it can overwhelm you, overwhelm us. But my Bible and my God tells me that in spite of the circumstances around me, I can choose joy. I can be filled with joy. And I can walk in joy. It's a choice. And the Lord is willing to do it. Just like he was then, he's willing to do it today and now. So we come to chapter 7. Now we're actually introduced to the, the man that uh, was ins- the human, I should say, the man who was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write and to ca- and capture this information uh, from the Holy Spirit here, Ezra. Up until this point, we've been reading about who? Zerubbabel and the 50,000 and what God's doing. We're finally in chapter 7 about this. read the second group that's going to come back, pale in comparison, you know, about... I don't know, 1,500, uh, when you talk about men, and then if you had women and children, somewhere around 5,000. 5, I mean, small number, com- you know, compared to the original 50,000 that came on the first journey backwards, Rubabel. But it's Ezra. And the purpose that Ezra's coming back, I mean, at this point, why is Ezra coming? Why are the people coming? The temple's already built, isn't it? The temple's built. They're worshiping. They're, they're, they're dedicated to the temple. We just read about that. What aren't they doing? remember, who is Ezra? What, what, what is he? He's a priest and a what? A scribe. He's a priest and a scribe. And what's he going to do? What, what do priests and scribes do? What, one, what's a scribe do? One who teaches or reads or even a copyist of the law, the word of God. So what's the purpose for Ezra coming now? Now that they got the house of God, what's the purpose for Ezra to come? Because what do the people need? The word of God and Ezra's going to come to teach and to share the Word of God with the people. This is what it looks like. this is the blueprint. If there was such a blueprint, this is the blueprint. you build the building, you fill it with the Word of God. that's exactly what Ezra's going to do. So he comes back and it's wonderful we read this I mean uh, it's a second trip right around 5:30 you know, 6 BC, Ezra's about 457. So there's this gap, if you're doing some of the math, basically between the last verse of, chap- of verse 22 to chapter one of, uh, excuse me, for verse one of chapter seven, it's a gap of about 58 years. What occurred during this 58-year gap, uh, verse 22 in chapter seven, uh, verse one? Esther is right. The book of Esther fits right in between this verse of 22 and chapter 7, verse 1. Your book of Esther fits nicely and conveniently right in the space of 58 years. So let's read here. It says, now after these things in the reign of Artaxerxes, king of Persia, Ezra, the son of Shariah, the son of Azariah, the son of Hilkiah, the son of Shalom, the son of Zadok... What's he doing? He's going through the genealogy. The son of Atub, the son of Amariah, the son of Azariah, the son of Meroth, the son of Zariah, the son of Uzi, the son of Buki, the son. Every time I read Buki, it gets me. The son of Buki, the son of Abishua, the son, the son of Phineas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the chief priest. What did he just go back? He just gave the Aaronic line to describe why Ezra is in the line of Aaron, and therefore a priest of the line of the priests. And he came up from Babylon and he was a skilled scribe. Do you see it says there? So he's a priest and a scribe, right? So not just someone that would have been a copyist. Well, they did do that. Scribes did certainly copy by hand the word of God over and over and over. Absolutely do that. But they would also many of them have much of the Word of God memorized because they had written it out by hand so many times. They literally had most books and chapters just, well, they wouldn't call them chapters then and scrolls then, but they had most of the books memorized. And so many times when they were able to teach or they were going to stand up and they were going to teach, they could teach directly from the Word and they could also help those that didn't understand by providing context We call that exegesis today. That's the term for it under hermeneutics. That's what we do here. We read the Word of God, and then we allow the Holy Spirit to exegete the Word of God for us. Give us context. And he was a skilled scribe in the law of Moses, which the Lord God Israel had given, right? So why and what is happening here? Well, first of all, we recognize a calling on this man Ezra's life the calling here certainly is a priest but a scribe in addition which that was rare at that time even today it would be rare the calling was in his heart because as a as a as one who would be a copyist or one who would spend great time with deep understanding of the word he loved the lord, the lord he loved the word of god and as a priest he loved the people and that's exactly what makes a great under-shepherd. It's not one that's just a teacher. And it's not one that's just, you know, that doesn't like people or loves people. It's like the Granville Sharp rule teaches in Ephesians 4, pastor teacher. In the Greek, you are unable to separate the two. They're coupled. It's called the Granville Sharp rule in the Greek. You cannot decouple them. A pastor is to be a teacher. In other words, he is to handle the Word of God. And one who handles the Word of God as a teacher, if they're going to teach from the pulpit, is also to be an under-shepherd and love the people he's called to serve. And that's exactly what God did in this man's heart. And God's still doing it in men's hearts today. And I love that. They love the Lord. They love the Word and they love people. I don't know who the next Ezra is in here right now. I do believe God is calling men to go out. There's still areas to be planted in this area. You know, Calvary chapels are the teaching of the line-by-line word of God. I mean, I want you to see what what involved in this. I mean, think about it for a minute. This calling, he left Babylon. Do you realize it was a four-month journey from Babylon back to Jerusalem? 900 miles This was not something to be taken lightly. But he loved the Lord. He loved the people. He loved the word of God. (laughs) He should put a sign up. We'll travel. Love Jesus. (laughs) Right? What wouldn't he do? That's that's a calling that God puts on a man's heart. And when he does that, the man faithfully responds. And he'll do whatever the Lord chose him to do. He'll travel wherever the Lord chose him to travel the king granted him all his requests. God had given favor, right? As Ezra's going to make a request in verse 25, but he says, he, according to the hand of the Lord God upon him, right? And that request obviously is to come to Jerusalem. Some of the children of Israel, the priests, the Levites, the singers, the gatekeepers, the Nethanim. And that's, remember, um, back in chapter 243, that's a special uh, order that David had uh, set up, King David. And it was basically servants that were, they, the Levites were to come alongside and serve the priests. And then these these uh, Nephilim, they were to come along and serve the Levites. So kind of like help helpers for the Levites because the Levites were helping the priests. So this was a special order, special group that King David had established. So he says, the singers, the gatekeepers... Then Nethanim came up to Jerusalem in the seventh year of King Artaxerxes. And Ezra came to Jerusalem in the fifth month, which was in the seventh year of the king. And on the first day of the first month, he began his journey from Babylon. And on the first day of the fifth month, he came to Jerusalem. So about four months, according to the good hand of his God upon him. Amen. For Ezra had prepared his heart. And here's the second thing, right? We read the first one was the calling. That's what that's required on a, on a man's heart. If, if you believe the Lord's calling you to be a pastor or an under-shepherd, you got to have a calling, number one. And the second thing is that he prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord. You have to have a heart after God and his people, after the word of God. And then the third thing that's required, do it. Do you see what it says there? And to do it that's it there's nothing else there's no other qualifications there's, there's no other long list that's it does the Lord put a calling in your heart do you love the word do you love the people you know are you willing to serve them Is, are you willing to give up your life give up your, your, yourself submit you know be surrendered that way are you willing to seek the word of God and study and um, study to show thyself approved and are you willing to obey and step in faith and do it because that's what it looks like here. That's what it looks like. That's Ezra's calling here. That's what it looks like. You can read Acts in the book of Acts, Paul the same way. Paul and Barnabas were called out and the Holy Spirit, right? bared witness. They prayed over them. And then what did Paul and Barnabas do? They went out and they went on their missionary journey. They did it, right? So these three things have to happen in order. If we're sitting home and we're going, I know the Lord's calling me. I, I love the people. I love the Lord. I love the Word of God. Um, and I know he's told me to do this, but that's really hard. That's really far away. That's 900 miles. That's four months worth of travel. I know this isn't going to work out for me. Do it. What are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? I think of uh, Pastor Andrew, right? He's up in Halifax. I remember years ago, I remember him coming up to the pastor. Can I talk to you? Sure. We sit down in my office and he, he says, I think the Lord's calling me to Halifax. I, I grew up there. I love the people there. I, I love the Lord. I just want to go serve his people. And I, I, I think, may I just start a Bible study? What do you think? And I'm like, what do you mean? What do I think? What is the Lord telling you to do? Go do it. And he stepped out and the Lord went right before him and still going before him today. And he's still faithful. He's got his hand on the plow and he's faithfully serving. And that's what it looks like. And it doesn't matter if the fellowship's 20, 30 people, or if it's 10,000 people. It doesn't matter. That's not a variable that has to do with the calling. If it's one soul, it's worth it all. As we continue to read here, and to teach the statutes and ordinances in Israel, so people know what the commandments, statutes, and judgments of God are, to obey So if you have a calling here, and maybe some of you have received a calling in your life, and you're wondering what to do, well, obey. Teach the Word of God. This is the copy of the letter that King Artaxerxes gave Ezra the the priest, the scribe expert in the words of the commandments of the Lord. Wow, can you imagine what that must be like to be an expert in the Word of God? And of his statutes to Israel, Artaxerxes, king of kings, to Ezra the priest, a scribe of the law of the of sorry a scribe of the law of the God of heaven, perfect peace and uh, so forth. I issue a decree that all those to the people of Israel and the priests and the Levites in my realm who volunteer to go up to Jerusalem, they may go with you. What's he saying? You have permission to take. Everyone and anyone you want. This is amazing because they're in Persia. like They're in Babylon, right? They, he could have said, no, you're not going anywhere. Isn't that what Pharaoh in Egypt did? No, this king's like, the Lord's showing you favor. Go. And whereas you are being sent by the kings and his seven counselors to inquire concerning Judah and Jerusalem with regard to the law of your God, which is in your hand, and whereas you are to carry the silver and gold which the king and his counselors have freely offered to give to the God of Israel, whose dwelling is in Jerusalem, and whereas all the silver and gold that you may find in the province of Alan, along with the free will offering of the people and the priests, are to be freely offered for the house of their God in Jerusalem. Now therefore be careful to buy with this money bulls, rams, lambs, with their grain offerings and their drink offerings, and offer them on the altar of the house of. Of your God in Jerusalem. Mind blown. This is a pagan king. And I understand that they were polytheistic in that day, and I get that they were very, you know, well, I'll worship this God, worship that God, worship. But for this king, Artaxerxes, to come out, and I like how he's a uh, perfect peace and, you know, and so forth and so on there, like that. And he says, you know what? Go. And And the way that he describes Ezra. You know, you Ezra, the man who has the Word of God in his hand. You know, how, how would someone describe you? Yeah, I see him all the time. He, he's always carrying around that Bible. Amen. He's got the Word of God with him. It's written on the tablet of his heart. It's how I know him. I can't tell you what he does or where he goes. I just know he's going to have a Bible. I hope that's the way we're all known, to be honest. I really do. I hope, I hope that's the way we're all known. And then he says, and, and with the finances and the, the money, he says, I want you to take all these things and I want you to worship your God. I want you to worship your God. If that's not favor, I, I don't know what is. And whatever seems good to you and your brethren to do with the rest of the silver and the gold, do it according to the will of your God. And, and by the way, whatever's left over, whatever God shows you to do, Don't send it back. Keep the change to the tune of 100 plus million. What? You know what? I give credit to this King Artaxerxes. Obviously a man of wealth, a wealth. He's not holding on, is he? He says, you know what? It's almost supernatural because he's literally saying, it's yours. It's not mine. Whatever the Lord has you to do with it. Do it according to the will of your God. Also, the articles that are given to you for the service of the house of your God, deliver in full before the God of Jerusalem. Take these things also back with you. Maybe things that you didn't bring. And whatever, on the first trip, I mean. And whatever more may be needed for the house of your God, which you may have on occasion to probably pay for it from the king's treasury. And oh, by the way, as you're starting and finishing because the temple's dedicated and you're going back and you're teaching the word, and maybe you need to buy Bibles or maybe you need, you know, Print Bibles. I understand scrolls. Maybe you need to have these things. Maybe you need to have more bulls and lambs, and you know, for sacrifices, burnt offerings, different things like that. He said, "Here's what you do. You basically show this letter and go to any of the tax treasuries and tell them you need money. I mean, that if that what, what a line of credit, except you don't have to pay it back. I mean." This is amazing. This is miraculous. How would you t- describe this? And I, even I, Artaxerxes, the king, issue a decree to all the treasuries who are in the region beyond the river, and whatever as of the priests, scribe the law of the God of heaven may require of you, let it be done diligently. Up to one hundred talents of silver, one hundred cores of wheat, so three and a half tons of silver. 600 bushels, when it says cores, that's 600 bushels of wheat, 100 baths of wine, 100 baths of oil, that's about 600 gallons, and salt without a uh, prescribed limit. That is super valuable. Salt was not only a preservative back then, but you need salt to live. And so basically he was saying whatever salt you need, whether it's to, they didn't have refrigerators, whether you need to preserve your food, preserve whatever you're doing in the house of God, also to preserve the meats and the sacrifices before it's offered or, or you're going to eat or even just to sustain life. He said, without limit. Do you know how valuable that is? I mean, our, our term for salt, where we understand the, the salt mines, towns that had salt mines at that time were known to be incredibly wealthy. And the people that could live close to those towns in those areas that would export the salt, they had it made when they discovered the mines of salt. They were all prospering in that area. And here, I mean, it was a commodity. It was a big deal. And here the king is saying, no, as much as you need. Whatever is commanded by the God of heaven, let it diligently be done for the house of the God of heaven. And he gives the reason here. He says, For why should there be wrath against the realm of the king and his sons? You know what this tells me? He understood what it meant to be on the right side of God and his word. Oh, how we could pray that our leaders today would utter those words or have that wisdom and understanding to be on the right side of God in the Bible. I pray we are. I pray all we are individually in our homes and the things and the choices we're making. Also we inform you that this shall not be lo- it shall not be lawful to impose tax tributes or custom on any of the priests, levites, singers, gatekeepers, Nathanim or servants of this house of God. What's he saying? I'm going to give all of you tax exempt status. You ever wonder where that came from? Hmm. Verse 25 and you Ezra, according to your God, given wisdom, set magistrates and judges who may judge all the people who are in the region beyond the river, all such as known the law oh sorry, all such that know the laws of your God, and teach them to who does not know them. He's basically saying, teach the word to people that don't know the Word of God. Whoever will not observe the law of your God and the law of the king, let the judgment be, be executed. He wants this to be order. Why? Because he wants citizens that are going to be like Ezra. Isn't that cool? He says, let it be executed speedily on him, whether it, it be death or banishment or confiscation or goods or imprisonment. He's basically saying, and there's a, there's a cost to be paid for not following this order. What he realizes that people that follow the word of God are good citizens. They're good, honest, moral people. And he wanted more of those. He knew he could build a kingdom around that. He could establish citizenships and towns and around people that were God-fearing and love the Lord and His Word. How far we have fallen today with our leaders and our government, where it's anything but the word of God. The word of God's taken out of our schools. It's uh, certainly not not the Christian school here, but out of schools, public schools, and the, and it's taken out of you know some churches, many churches don't even teach the word of God anymore. You might as well just call them something else. Blessed be the Lord God of our fathers, who has put such a thing as this in the king's heart, to beautify the house of the Lord which is in Jerusalem. And he has extended mercy to me before the king and his counselors and before all the king's mighty princes. So I was encouraged. I would say so, as the hand of the Lord my God was upon me and I gathered leading men of Israel to go up with me. We're going to close there tonight. I'm going to ask the musicians to come forward. What we'll read in chapter 8 is going to go through verses 2 through 14. In chapter 8, is going to go through a list of the family heads and the the members. Basically, 1,000, if you do the math, 1,514 men are going to Come back, and then again, if you add women and children, it comes out to about 5,000. So, please read ahead, chapter 8, and, Lord willing, uh, if by next week we should be finishing the book of Ezra and beginning the book of Nehemiah. So, if you're able to uh, stand, um, I'd encourage you to do that. As I said at the beginning, is is our God so worthy to be praised? And is God able to do anything above all we could ever ask, think? I mean, I read these passages and I'm starting to realize that maybe some of the church today, maybe some of the people in the church, the body of Christ, maybe we have started to put God in a box. And maybe that's also part of um, part of the warfare that's being... Uh, Engaged by the enemy, by Satan himself. To make us think that our God isn't a miracle worker. Our God isn't a God of miracles. Our God isn't sovereign. Because the reality, he is. He's in control of everything. We really don't have anything to fear. We don't have a single thing to worry about or fear because God is in control. He's on the throne. He's madly in love with you, and he's coming again soon. Our redemption draws nigh. Amen? Amen. I love you guys.
0: Amen. It was just a wonderful reminder of, you know, God's provision, how he provides every single one of our needs, you know, when we submit and just obey him in everything that we do. So, just God is so wonderful. Thank you, Lord. Lord, this is holy ground, Lord. Lord, we just thank you for your wonderful words and your promises, Lord. So Lord, I just pray your blessing upon this week, Lord. Lord, let these words just be etched on the tablet of our hearts, Lord. And we just take and just share your words and your love to whoever you have us come across. So we just ask these things in your gracious and holy name. Amen.